I shared last week, I stood up here and I said, it is good to finally be here with you. Well, I want to tell you that though some here may agree with that statement, back home not many did. I can remember sharing my comment of people asking me, what's my plans and what am I planning to do? And I told them, oh, Michelle and I are looking at leaving Queensland and moving to Melbourne. The comments I received were things like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Everyone, is doing the, everyone else is doing the opposite. Comments like these come from my bosses. I remember one of my bosses I told and he swore at me and called me all kind of not very nice words. Another one said, aren't you a counsellor? Aren't you paid as a counsellor? And I said, yes, I am. And to which he said, well, it sounds like you're the one that needs counselling. Do you know, but it didn't just come from people I knew. I was surprised at how many people I'd never, ever met before said the same thing. Do you know, this is the first time as we were flying over here, the air hostess on the plane said, oh, why are you going to Melbourne? I've never been asked why I'm on a plane before. And I told her and she said, you're crazy. She said, I wouldn't be going to Melbourne. And then on the Saturday night when I got here, we had a, a leaders and elders lunch or dinner out there. And there was a mother from the community who brought her son over because he lost his frisbee. And I went out there and I was chatting with her and I told her what I was doing because she said, oh, it's church on tonight. And I said, oh, no, it's, it's a meal. And, and I explained the meal. And I said, oh, I live in Queensland and I think of moving here. She said, you're mad. She said, for the last six months, she's been trying very hard to get out of Pakenham and to move to the Gold Coast. As I said, I got ladies' comments like this from everyone. And yes, including your pastoral search committee. Their final question to me was, why on earth are you planning to move from Queensland to Melbourne? Well, having been here for a week, I can honestly say, I'm glad that I am crazy. I'm glad that I've lost my mind because Michelle and I have had a great week. We've met some great people. We've shared some great food. Amen. And um, it's been a really, a really great thing. But for me, there's one thing I'm taking away more than this week than the people and the meals. There's one thing that excites me. Now, as I preach today, I'm going to be saying the words we as a church. Please know I'm not being presumptuous. I'm not, I know that there's a vote next week, but I did have in my sermon, I kept having the words, you as a church, and it just didn't roll off the tongue and it wasn't, just wasn't smooth. So I'm not trying to preempt anything here, but I believe the message is for you as a church. But as I said, for me, there's one thing more I'm taking away than friends and food. Many people in this church, believe that this church is at this present point of time is in an exciting position, a position of moving forward. And not to dob them in, but from the elders and the leaders of this church that I've spoken with, they're on the same page. After a year of closed doors on ministry, there's great excitement that these doors are ready to be opened again. And that's what I'm taking away. Now, as exciting as this sounds, I'm sure we would also have people that would say things like, hey, it's wonderful for people to want to see the church grow and move forward. We share in that, but chances are you're going to find it difficult. 
you're going to find it difficult without the people we once had. This is going to be a real uphill battle to move forward and grow as a church. And, you know, if they said that to me, in some ways my response would be to them, do you know you are 100% correct? It is going to be hard. Now, before you throw me out or send me back to Queensland early or before you change, charge me with having a negative defeatist attitude, I'm not. I'm only trying to get us to think about something. What will a journey be like for this church moving forward? How hard would it be? I remember when I got to Queensland, I said, one thing that you're going to learn from me passionately is AFL is real football. That's what you're going to learn from me. Well, I can tell you I've been there for 14 years. I've preached it. I've lived it. I've displayed it. And there are still people to this day that refuse to listen. In fact, they hate the message. Do you know I see that's where not just this church but the Christian church is at today? We are going out into a world that refuses the message. They despise the message. They don't even believe in the message anymore. No one wants to be pointed out, hey, you're a sinner. You've done things so bad that you are separated from God. And so if we're going to go out and do that, what's that journey going to look like? It will be hard, it will be challenging, and it will be time-consuming. So if you're saying, yeah, I do want to be a part of a church going forward, I do want to be a part of a growing church, then in a way, that's what you're signing up for. Seriously, you're signing up for, to move in a direction that's going to be hard, that's going to be challenging, and it's going to be time-consuming. The reason I'm focusing on this this morning is because I read something in one of my devotions late last year. And it was a time in my life that was a real struggle and a real battle. This was the time when I'd finished all my interviews with the pastoral search committee and the elders. And this was the time where I was really struggling and battling with the thought, do I really want to make the cost and move to Melbourne? Do I really want to start a ministry all over again? Do I really want to leave my country lifestyle and my relationships that I have in Melbourne to just start all over again. I remember thinking perhaps everyone making those comments to me that I mentioned before, maybe they're not just mere jokes. I mean, nearly every single person made the same comment to me, even those that knew me well and didn't know me from a bar of soap. And I started to think, well, maybe this was God's way to try and get through this thick skull of mine. You move forward in this area, Garth, then be warned. It will be hard. It will be challenging and it will be time-consuming. You would have lost your mind. But as I said, it was at this very time that I received some great encouragement and challenge from a devotion that I read, and it spoke to me. Well, you guessed it, because of what I've discovered this week, because of the people's great desire to see this church move forward and open up ministry doors again, I believe God wants me to bring the same message of verses and encouragement and challenge to you today. Can I just pray first? Father God in heaven, I thank you for that your word doesn't contain the word of God. Your word is the word of God. And Father, I pray that as we open up our words today, Father, if there's anything that's not of you, I pray that you'll erase it from these people's minds. But Father, above all, I pray that you'll challenge us. You will encourage us. 
and that you will give us a passion to serve you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Sorry, I never normally drink when I... You guys must make me nervous. What's the reading? The reading I was reading was Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where Paul is saying goodbye to the elders at the church of Ephesus because he believes he's been called to go to Jerusalem. He tells the elders that he's not sure what's going to happen to him, but he knows that God's told him to go. But on top of that, God's also told him something else. Through the Holy Spirit, God's told him that he will face hardships, so much so that he would spend time in prison. I really hope that if I get a yes next week, I don't follow Paul's footsteps and end up in prison. But Paul knew that he was about to walk into a situation that was going to cost him dearly, so much so he was going to end up in prison. Paul knew wherever he went in Jerusalem, there would be trouble, there would be pain, and there would be persecution. Some of his friends warned him to protect himself and encouraged him to, to look for other ways. But I guess if you read we would know the great Apostle Paul was not the kind of person who ever ran away from a difficulty or a challenge that God put on his life. We find his response to his friends in Acts chapter 22, uh, Acts 20, verse 24. This is what he said to his friends. But I do not consider my life worthy anything to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. Wow. What a bold statement. I was really challenged when I read this. For me, Paul uses three phases that stood out boldly in his testimony. He says, my life, my course, and my ministry. And today I want to look at them individually. Let's see if we can discover some secrets, dare I say, that Paul had and then more importantly how can we apply them to our life and to the life of a church that's reopening and moving forward the first thing he says is my life Paul says I do not consider my life worth anything to myself do you know um, as I said I, I work in a school if kids make this kind of comment chances are we would have them on a mental health plan quick as lightning Chances are if you heard someone or read someone make this comment, you would be quite concerned for that person. So much so that we would try to come up with some nice, encouraging words to give that person. Things like, oh, don't say that. Don't beat yourself up. Always remember you're special. You're loved. You have so much to offer. But Paul definitely wasn't in a depressed state here. He was just stating a truth he believed. More importantly, he was just stating a truth that he learned. Where did he learn it? He would have learned it from Christ himself. You will remember in both Matthew and Mark, Luke's Gospels, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me daily. You'll notice that Paul doesn't say, I do not consider my life worth anything. His wording is this. I do not consider my life worth anything to myself. Paul knew his life was worth something, but the worth wasn't in himself. He did not make his own life the dearest thing. 
there was a question put to me at, uh, at uh, when I met on Saturday night with the leaders and pastoral search committee, and one of the fun questions was, what kind of music do you like? And I said, anything from the 80s. But I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. I love Billy Joel. I've seen him in concert quite a number of times. Well, Billy Joel had a song called My Life. And in this song, he has the line, I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. Go ahead with your own life, leave me alone. Whenever the Christian talks about their life, words like that should never come out of our mouths. Your life is a gift from God. In him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our very being. Even before you were born, God knew you and had a purpose for your life. He knew your talents, he knew your abilities, and he knew your interests. And he wanted to use them. Not that we're taught it much, but he even knew your weaknesses. And he wants to use them as well. All of our strengths and weaknesses are all part of God's divine plan and all part of his gift. God gives us natural life, but once you put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ, once you make him Lord and Saviour of your life, you also have a spiritual life. God made you, which is your physical life, and God saves you, which is your spiritual life. So the starting point, I believe, for any Christian learning how to deal with life during tough times or whatever times, is know this. The life you have physically and spiritually is a gift from God. You know, I've made this comment to people and Christians over the years, your life is a gift from God. And I always get, yeah, I know that. Everyone knows their life's a gift from God. Well, I never, I never ended there and I never let them get away with that because I always say, okay, if you know your life is a gift, then I have a great question for you. What's the purpose of the gift? Sadly, to which I'm often met with silence. Imagine if you went and bought your family the biggest flat screen TV you could find. And you went and bought it for them as a gift and you gave it to them. And then they ring up and say, oh, mom and dad, thanks for the gift. We're using it. Can you please come over? We want you to see it. And you get over there and you find that they've screwed four legs to the TV and they're eating breakfast of it because they're using it as a table. Chances are you wouldn't be happy. Every gift we give has a purpose. Well, if God gave you the gift of life, spiritual life, what's the purpose of that gift? Well, Paul answers that for us in his case. He knew his life worth. It was the one who owned it and gave it. He knew the purpose of his gift was to do one thing. His life was not a treasure for him to guard. It was a treasure for him to invest and give back to his Lord. I'm not sure if you've ever heard anyone ever quote this or read it somewhere. I don't know where it comes from. But there's a principle in the spiritual life and it says this. Whatever you keep, you lose. But whatever you give, you possess forever. Again, Paul is living testimony of this. Paul did not keep this gift of life to himself. He gave it back to God for him to use for the glory of Jesus Christ, his saviour. We can all look to the life of Paul and know it is doing the will of God that is the uttermost important in our lives. So much so, he wrote the words. 
And he quoted him to the Galatian church, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Compare living by those words to the life, to the words of Billy Joel, I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life, go ahead with your own life, leave me alone. Great contrast. If you count your life dear to yourself, if you protect your own interests, if you pamper yourself, then you will never really live. You will find yourself going through life asking the question, what am I going to get instead of what can I give? When we do this, we miss out on all the exciting blessings that God has for us. That's why I'm sure if you ever know selfish people, chances are most times selfish people in this world aren't happy. They're sometimes they're the most unhappy people because they're so busy trying to get more that they fail in to enjoy what they already have. But if you surrender yourself to Jesus, if you make him Lord of your life and let him control your life, then you will enjoy abundant life. Now remember, as I mentioned last week, giving control to your life over to God doesn't promise an easy life. In fact, it's probably the opposite. There will be storms. Paul is clear in this passage. The Holy Spirit told him he was going to have hardships. But his belief was, my life is not my own. It belongs to God. So God can send me whenever he likes, wherever he wants, and he can do with me whatever he chooses. So I truly believe as we look ahead to a church that wants to move forward and open doors, sorry to scare you, but for this to happen, we need to be whenever, wherever, and whatever people. That reading from Romans 12 that I had read out earlier, you're right. So Paul talks about sins, then Paul talks about sin, and Paul talks about grace, and then it's how do we live it. He says something really contradiction. He says the two words of living sacrifice. How can you be a living sacrifice? A sacrifice is dead. Well, you are dead. You're dead to self and you're alive to Christ. That's the way you move forward. It is knowing that you are living sacrifices. For this church to move forward, we will all need to be saying to God, I will be available whenever you want me. Go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. Now, I know that sounds hard. I know that sounds time-consuming. And I know that sounds costly. Do you know why it sounds hard, time-consuming and costly? Because it is. That's why I say if we aren't whenever, wherever and whatever people, if we become no or sometimes people, if we say oh, I'm too old, I'm too busy or whatever, then we can have all the excitement in the world about and vision of a church moving forward, but it won't happen. Because if we're not doing the thing that Paul talks about, knowing that your life is a gift from God and giving that gift back to him for him to use whenever he likes, wherever he likes, for whatever he chooses, you're going to be going up up your battle. The next thing he says is the term my course. Paul used a second phrase. He says, I do not consider my life worth anything to myself so that I may finish my course. I guess it's no surprise this word course has suggestions of a race. In, it's tied up with a race. 
and Paul puts himself as one of the runners in that race. This is not a new thing for Paul. He often uses athletic illustrations in his letters. Paul would have often seen the athletic games in the various Greek cities. I can't help but think that as he sat there watching those games, he saw some great similarities between the games he was watching and the Christian life he was living. They suggested to him some truths about the Christian life. That's why that he used them so much. Well, this term, my course, is another one. One thing Paul would have known and made a comparison to with the Christian life, and he's wrote on this in other letters, is no one could compete in the games, in the Greek games, unless he was a citizen. Well, the same is true for the Christian race. No one can run in the Christian race unless he's a citizen of heaven, a child of God. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, he saves you and takes you off that broad road that leads to destruction and he puts you on that narrow road that leads to life. You become one of his representatives. Another similarity between the running race and the Christian life is our course is marked out for us. As God's citizens in this race, he's assigned a track for us on this course. Philippians 3 and Hebrews 12 back this up. These chapters that compare the Christian life to a race clearly state God assigns each Christian runner his own special lane. While we are in this race, the important thing we must do is obey the rules, keep running for the prize and stay in the correct lane or stay on course. If we do, then God will reward us at the end of the course. If we fail, we will lose our reward. That statement imposes an important question. Is it possible to fail as a runner in the Christian race? If so, how? I mean, what keeps us from running off course as we should? Well, sometimes we get out of training. Just as an athlete must stay in training, so the Christian must obey the Lord and be careful about his spiritual disciplines. Reading, praying, serving. Athletes need proper diet, fresh air, and proper rest. So do we as Christians. We need to feed on the word of God, breathe the pure air of heaven as we pray, and rest in the Lord and trust him for strength. Paul wanted to finish his course with joy, and he did. We read in his words in 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. At this stage of Paul's race, it was towards the end, but he saw he refinished. He was looking forward to seeing his Lord Jesus Christ and sharing in that crown of righteousness. But he knew to get it, he must continue to run on his course. So as you can see, there are some comparisons. Paul brings them out with a running race in the Christian life. But you know, for me, there is always one main difference. Even though each of us have our own lane and course marked out for us, even though each of us are told to run in a way to win the race, Unlike other races, there is one major difference. We are not in competition with each other. One truth that sets the Christian life race apart from every other competitive race is this. All of us can win the race and get the reward. So while it's true we're not in competition with every other Christian, the race, however, is still a competition. Do you know who the competition is with? Yourself. Each day, as you are living for Christ, we should be asking ourselves, am I further along the course today than I was last week? Or have I slipped back and lost ground? 
please don't measure yourself by some other Christian. Measure yourself by the plan and course God has made for your life, the prize he wants you to win. Then one day when the race will be over for you and for me, we will be able to say, I've finished my course with joy. What about us as a church? Does God have a course or a lane for us? Well, from my week here, I believe, yes, he does. And people can see that course. Well, let me encourage all of us. Keep your eye on that goal. Let us be sure as a church we're running in the lane God has assigned to us. Let us take care of each other as runners. Let us help each other with training, with exercise and with diet. How do we do that? Well, that's by living out Paul's last statement. My ministry. The last statement of the three phrases that Paul uses in Acts 20, 24 is my ministry. The ministry which I have received from the Lord. His life was a gift from God. His course was assigned by God. And while he was running that course, he wanted more than anything to fulfill the ministry the Lord had given him. Paul knew his ministry. He tells us what it is. It is focused on sharing the grace of God. That word grace is a marvellous word. The literal meaning is unmerited favour. It carries with it the idea of God's free gifts to people who do not deserve it. But it's more than that. Grace is God's favour. You cannot earn it. You cannot merit it. And you can, you can only receive it by faith. Grace means that God does for you what you cannot do for yourself. Grace means that God gives to you what you could never earn or you never deserve if you tried for a million years. Paul believed his ministry was to be a great ambassador of that great grace of God. I can't help but think what a great job he did in fulfilling his ministry. I mean, not that he would have known it, but how many Christians have been blessed challenged and changed by reading the words Paul wrote about the grace of God in our Bibles. Can you imagine our Bibles without Paul's writings? What a tragic loss that would be. What about you? Do you have a ministry? Do you believe like Paul that God has a course for your life that involves doing something wonderful for him? If so, then the most important question we can answer is being able to identify and know what that ministry is. Well, I guess it's no surprise that I believe every Christian on this world, each of us has a ministry to fulfil. Each of us has a special ministry from the Lord that no one else can do for us. It's our ministry. It's assigned to us by the Lord and we are responsible to finish it for his glory. Your ministry is your God-given ministry to do. We should never envy someone else because they have a better ministry. Always remember, any God-given ministry for you to do is just as important in the eyes of God. It's what he has blessed you with. I've seen some people get upset when someone else challenges them on how are they going at serving or doing their ministry. And they say, hey, that's my life. That's between me and God. Well, in a way it is. But always remember... One of our goals as Christians is to help each other fulfil our ministry. That reading from before, we are all members of one body. We are many parts. We all have different gifts, 
but we come together. We come together and we have a ministry to each other. Our love must be sincere, not put on. You may not like someone, but you've got to love them. You've got to hate what is evil. You've got to love what is good. Love one another and practice hospitality. I believe every child, parent, grandparent, auntie, uncle, whatever you want, in this room and out there, every Christian has a ministry. And we're there to help them achieve it. What does the writer of Hebrews say? We are there to spur one another on to love and what? Good deeds. Paul wrote to a young Timothy, fully carry out the ministry God has given you. This literally means fulfill your ministry, accomplished in your work, the things God has called you to do. Remember, when it comes to ministry, ministry is something that God has given you to do. It is something he wants you to do. Non-Christians aren't going to spur you on to do it. So we must allow our Christian brothers and sisters to spur and challenge us to do it. This is true for the church. And if I get a yes next week, I believe one of my main ministries to do is to encourage and equip you to do your ministry to help this church move forward. Yes. Will it be hard? Yes. Will it be challenging? Yes. Will it be time-consuming? Yes. But if I didn't lead you in that direction, it wouldn't be right. I wouldn't be doing you and the church any help. In fact, I would be doing you a disservice. Imagine if I met with you and I said something like, look, um, it's great, I know you went away and you worked out your ministry and um, I know you really wanted to do it and even though you really haven't stepped out and done it and even though you really haven't put steps in place to achieve it, don't worry, God sees your intentions. If I said that to you, I would be doing your Christian life and this Christian church a disservice. I want to encourage and equip you to do what you believe God wants you to do, your ministry. We should all be challenging and spurring each other on to be a church of a people like I mentioned before. A church of people who say, I will be available whenever you want me, God. I will go wherever you want me to go, God. I will do whatever you want me to do, God. My life, my course, my ministry. It would do us good to repeat those three phrases at the beginning of each day, for they help us take account of our spiritual experience. Am I holding my life dear to myself or am I surrendering my life to Jesus Christ? Am I running the course God has assigned to me or am I living life for myself? Am I fulfilling the ministry that he's giving me or am I just doing what I want to do? No matter what problems you may be facing just now, no matter how hard growing a church out of a COVID time may be, turn yourself over to Jesus Christ Surrender your life and let him work out his perfect will in your life, your course and your ministry. If everyone in this church and every church did that, then it would be incredible to see what impact that would have on a church that has gone through two years of closed doors. May God equip you, may he encourage you and above all, may he strengthen you to do what he's called you to do.
Amen.